Bibles this morning, I want you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 21. Um, I wanted them to share, and, and we're, we're, I need you to listen fast, right? I'm going to give you a lot, because this is very important, preparing our hearts for next week. Uh, one more thing before we read from God's Word, and that is, again, these, these things in the, uh, in the, after next week, these things that you saw in the pew on your way in, we have stacks of them outside. They are no good. We want you to use them. We want you to invite people. We want you to pass them out. We want you to say, hey, take this. We'll see you next week. You can sit with me. We'll have breakfast together. Some of you that are here this morning, we're here for the first time on an Easter. We want to take advantage of that, so please, take two things. You got a missionary prayer card, and you got an invitation. This one you keep and you pray over, this one you give away. All right, Matthew chapter 21. Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you are doing. I thank you for the ways in which you stir people, that you speak to people and call people. Now, Lord, May our hearts be focused upon what you desire to do in us through your word this day in Jesus' name, amen. For some time in Matthew chapter 21, actually prior to chapter 21, Jesus had been walking with his disciples toward Jerusalem. Matthew chapter 21 records his entry into Jerusalem. We we call it the triumphal entry. We call it Palm Sunday. We sang a little bit about it uh, earlier. You'll see that here in a moment. But Jesus is coming into Jerusalem where five days later he will be crucified and one week later he will be raised from the dead. Only Jesus knew the significance of the week that lay ahead of him because others who were there in the crowd expected something else. Matthew chapter 27, verses 7 and following read this way. The disciples brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and Jesus sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before Jesus and who followed Jesus were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now look at verse 10. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up and they said, Who is this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. I would love to see this scene. This is one of those Bible scenes I would love to see as it happened. I would love to hear the cheers and feel the excitement that was just emanating from the crowd. And perhaps more than anything, if I were there on that scene, I, I can promise you I would not be fixated upon their cheers or the excitement. I would be looking at Jesus' face. I would like to see, wouldn't you, what Jesus looked like? I wonder the expression on his face. In fact, I just wonder what Jesus looked like. Of course, there was no photography. There was no one that was having him sit for a portrait. We don't know exactly what Jesus looked like, but we have some ideas, or at least some preconceived ideas. As a boy, I saw a movie many years ago. Some of you saw it. It was called, it was a movie about the life of Jesus. It was called The Greatest Story Ever Told. The main actor was, uh, that played Jesus was a Swedish man who looked 
actually more Northern European than I do. After that, whenever I read the Bible, even maybe still a little bit today, whenever I read the Bible, I pictured Jesus that way. Tall, fair-skinned, blue-eyed, Northern European. Although I doubt that anybody in Jesus' boyhood village of Nazareth ever said, hey, you know Mary's son, Jesus? He kind of looks Swedish. I don't think anyone ever said that. Some years later, I traveled in the Far East and I saw a statue of Jesus. And that statue of Jesus had distinctly Asian eyes, almond-shaped eyes. A few years after that, I was in West Africa a statue there had Jesus with black skin and the features of a sub-Saharan African. I'm not faulting these people who made the statues or who paint the pictures or who make the the movies. I, I, I know that a lot of times people don't know who are in the Far East don't know that the rest of the world does not necessarily look like them. It wasn't irreverent to those who made it. It was very reverent. They just didn't know what Jesus looked like, so they painted him the way that they thought he looked like. Of course, Jesus was Jewish, so he looked Eastern Mediterranean. But the, the great concern that I have found is not how Jesus is depicted in paint or in statuary or in film. The greater concern is, is when people try reshaping Jesus into someone they expect or want him to be they reshape him, uh, uh, his, his nature, his character, according to what they want him to be or expect him to be. And thereby, he becomes something less if they think that he is just this way. The people in Jerusalem that day, here in Matthew chapter 21, they were excited about Jesus. And you can feel the excitement as you read it. It says that the whole city was stirred. The whole city was stirred. It references many times the crowd. There were, there were a large number of people, and even as you read it, you can almost just sense it. There was a, there was a buzz about the place. Verse 11, people in the crowd called Jesus a prophet, a spokesman for God. That, that, that was not an unusual thing. It had been a while since some of the more prominent prophets had been uh, in place. Those names of persons at the end of the Old Testament, books of the Bible named after those prophets. But that was not necessarily an unusual thing. Someone speaking for God, sharing his directives to the people. So the fact that they called him a prophet was, was a little bit unusual, but not, not unprecedented. They acknowledged also there that he was Galilean. He was Jewish. He was from the northern part of the country, but he was still one of their own. So th this is a good thing. He's, he's a prophet. He's, he's one of us. He's a Jew. And I'm sure that many of the people there, because this is at the end, near the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, uh, Jesus' power had been demonstrated in countless places and in countless ways. I'm sure that many of the people who were there in the crowd that day in Matthew chapter 21 had heard about Jesus' power to heal, had heard about Jesus' power to deliver people from demonic spirits. 
They had probably even heard, some of them, how Jesus had raised a man named Lazarus, who'd been dead for four days, had raised him from the dead. Some there, in that crowd of people that it references many times, may have even experienced Jesus' power to heal or to provide themselves. But how many people who were present there that day knew that he was God? It's a rhetorical question. I don't know that I have an answer. But how many people there, while they acknowledged that he was many things, a prophet, a Galilean, even a miracle worker, but how many of them realized that he was God, that he was more than just a man, that he was someone who could absolutely and radically transform people for eternity? How many knew that he was divine? How many there knew that could possibly know that Jesus would give his life, in just a few days would give his life to provide every person in the world a way to be forgiven? How could they know that? Did anyone know that? And and even taking it a step further, how many people who applauded him on that Sunday, then just a few days later, five days later on Friday, how many people who applauded him on that Sunday, five days later, shook their fist at him and called for his death? I guess only God knows who in the crowd, waved palm branches, took their coats off and laid them down as a sign of great respect, as a sign of tremendous honor. But how many did that and then just a few days later said, crucify him? Why would they do that? Why would people turn on Jesus? Why would there be a crowd on Sunday lauding him and applauding him. And then five days later, he's crucified, and just four or five people present at his burial. Well, there's, there's a lot to that answer, but here's the simple, the short, the short answer. Jesus didn't fit their expectations. Because of some of the things that he did and said in the days following, suddenly, even though they wanted him to be the one who would come in and deliver them from Roman oppression, in the days that followed, they realized, no, that's not what what we expected. Jesus was something more. He didn't fit their expectations. He didn't conform to what they thought he would be. Hear me again on that. Jesus, one of the reasons why they crucified him is because he did not meet their expectations. He did not perform as they wanted him to perform. He was not what they expected him to be. And so they said, crucify him. Still happens. Happens here. Happens in your community. Happens in Moldova. People still try to reshape Jesus into someone who who they want him to be, they expect him to be. 
People try to reshape Jesus into someone who will strengthen their argument or defend their cause or justify their behavior. Let me give you a couple of examples. Several years ago, this one um, uh, I remember very well, kind of made me a little bit angry, but several years ago, the animal advocacy group, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, PETA, declared that Jesus was a vegetarian that he abstained from eating meat, so therefore the argument was because Jesus didn't eat meat, we shouldn't eat meat. One problem, the Gospel of Luke says Jesus ate meat. But you, you understand why it was used, because if we somehow use him as leverage, we will get our way. That's one example. Here's another one. Persons with Marxist or communist ideologies. I first heard this uh, many, many years ago, several decades ago when Troy and I were in college. I heard this for the first time that, uh, that uh, they, people calling Jesus, quote, the first revolutionary. If you listen, you'll hear this every now and then. That Jesus, they say that his purpose in coming was to overthrow the leadership structures and help the worker. That Jesus was the first revolutionary, that that was his reason for being. That's why he said what he did, because he wanted to overthrow those structures and help the common person. But that was never, that was never his stated nor demonstrated purpose. Persons in Islam, Muslims, are, will quickly acknowledge Jesus. They will say, yes, we believe in Jesus they will say, they will point out how he is prominently mentioned in the Quran many, many times in many places in the Quran. Yet they regard him only as a prophet and teacher. You see, they, 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 they believe in him, but they only want to believe in him in a certain way. Uh, let's bring it a little bit closer to home because right now some of you are going, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Let's bring it a little bit closer to home. In every, in every election cycle, people on both the right and left ends of the political spectrum try to explain why Jesus would vote for their side getting the divine endorsement. Let me be very clear on something. There are some policies, some planks in the platform that are very biblical and very moral and very godly and others that are very ungodly. The problem is when, when they, the people who try to bring in this divine endorsement, if you will, from Jesus know nothing about the Savior. They simply want to use him to get their way. This happens. I'm going to take him, I'm going to shape him, reshape him so that I can better defend my argument. This happens. It gets much more personal. Let me bring it in even a little bit tighter. How many times has a person lost a loved one? You've seen this, experienced it, maybe, maybe you've even done it. Someone loses a loved one and, and in genuine grief, they, they say something like, well... They're now with Jesus. Now let me be very clear. I believe that, of course, the Bible's very clear. When a follower of Jesus Christ dies, when they become absent from this body, their eternal part, their spirit, becomes present with the Lord. Glory to God. But how many times do people say, well, they're now with Jesus and give no thought to that person perhaps never acknowledging the Lord, giving no evidence whatsoever that their loved one ever surrendered their life to Christ or served him or even gave a thought to him. 
But when someone dies, we just, well, then obviously Jesus came for them because they died. And yet it is not an automatic thing. So many people expect him to take Jesus to take everyone to heaven, yet Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 that if we do not confess him before other people, he will deny us before his Father. But in times of grief, to comfort someone, we just say, well, they're now with Jesus. Oh, I believe we should say that if that person had a relationship with Jesus Christ, and yet so many just think it's an automatic. He comes and he takes us. Of course he does, We reshape him according to our liking. How many people say they love Jesus and yet ignore his words? How many people say, I love the Lord, I love God, I love, even even mention his name, I love Jesus, and yet fail to do what Jesus says? Many years ago, after I graduated from college, I was in ministry in Ohio as an associate pastor. One of my responsibilities was to lead a Bible study. And one evening after a Bible study, a gentleman in the study came up to me and he said, you know, Pastor, pastor Gary said, you know, there are some sins that God winks at. I was so new, I was kind of insecure, didn't know. I said, Really? He said, yeah, there are some sins that God winks at. Now, I I have to apologize to you this morning. I really dropped the ball. I did not ask him which sins. Wouldn't that have been nice? Give it to you? (laughs) I said, oh, really? Okay. Um, I'm not sure about it. I went back to my room, and I pulled out the concordance and looked for wink in the Bible. You won't find it. And I don't know what that was. And that guy, he's... He, he was old then. He's, I'm sure, passed away. Uh, he took the secret to the grave. But what was he saying? What was the man saying? Why, why, was, why, why was he saying that? He was trying to reshape Jesus into something acceptable to him rather than him being shaped by Jesus Christ. Let me repeat that. What was he doing? He was saying, well, you know, I, I, I'm more comfortable with Jesus winking at certain sins. I don't know what they were. Winking at certain sins... Because that makes me feel better. And rather than me being shaped by him, I'm just going to adjust him a little bit. But Jesus said in John chapter 14, this is gospel. This is in the Bible. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, if we truly love him, we will do as he commands. Jesus said, you love me, do what I say. Jesus says to you, you love him, do what he says. There are countless, I could give more, there are countless examples of people trying to shape, shift Jesus into what they think he is or want him to be. They try to reshape him, reform him, add what they like, take away what they don't, appropriate his name to further their cause. And yet how many people who in one form or another claim him or identify with him or borrow from his name or appropriate his name to their cause, how many of them fail to realize who he is and why he came? How many people to them 
The name of Jesus <coughs> that we sang about this morning is simply something that we use to get our way. And if I don't like something about him, I reshape him. If there's something about his message that I don't like, I will reshape the message so that I'm more comfortable. The problem is I'm reshaping him rather than being reshaped myself. Fellow believers, if we try, hang on with this, but if we try reshaping Jesus into what we want or what we imagine him to be, we have become nothing more than present-day idolaters. It's one of, the, one of the sins that was pointed out early on in the Ten Commandments. Shall not make any graven images. Another one says, so you will not have any other gods before me. One is very clear, do not make idols. Now I've pointed this out before that, well, I think very few occasions will I go into a into someone's home and see a, a god, a, a statue or a, a, a something with a candle burning in front of it and people bow down to that false god. I, I, don't, I, I haven't seen that, at least here in our, in our culture. I've seen it elsewhere, but I'm not talking about just that kind of idols. How many times do people not have, they wouldn't think of creating something golden or something out of ivory or something out of porcelain and bowing down to it and yet they have, they have created, <coughs> excuse me, they have reshaped Jesus into their own thinking, to an image that they think he is. It's idolatry. If we are truly serving Jesus, if we are surrendered to him, Hear me. It's not about me trying to reshape Jesus, trying to adjust him to fit me. It's about Jesus reshaping me. I don't know where everyone here in the building or everyone listening is this morning. But Jesus doesn't need changing. But how many here this morning need changing? Seven of you need changing. Every one of us. I've been serving Jesus for well over 40 years. <coughs> and I see so often, oh God, I need you to reshape me. I need you to change me. I need you to alter me. I need to confess that. I need, Lord, I didn't even know that was an issue, but oh God, Forgive me. Make me more like you. God, help me not to make you more like me, not to accommodate you, not to, not to reshape you into what I think you should be. But Jesus, would you please reshape me into what you want me to be? We are the ones who need changing. Every one of us. Listen to this. It's from Romans. Chapter 8, verse 29 says this. God decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. That's a powerful statement. God decided from the beginning to shape the lives of those who love him. 
to shape the lives of those who love him. To shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. God sent his son so that our lives can be shaped and reshaped along the lines of his son. <coughs> Not for him to be reshaped according to what I think. God do a work in all of our hearts. I know that this side of heaven will never know Jesus in his fullness. I don't know if it will still be important. I believe that now Jesus, he looks completely different than he did when he walked this earth. But I'm going to see his face someday. Do you realize that when you get to heaven, you're going to look different there than you do here? How many are really glad for that? I got even more hands on that. But this side of heaven, Lord, shape me. Make me more like you. Make me more like you. We used to sing a song a long time ago. Make me like you, Lord, please make me like you. You are a servant, make me one too. Lord, I am willing to do what you must do to make me like you, Lord. Please make me like you. That's my prayer. So in the closing moments, one more thing that I'm going to share, but in our closing moments, I, I, I would like you just to bow your heads, please, if you would, across this building. And if you're joining us online, would you do that as well? Right where we are. Let's just make where we are a place of prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came so many years ago you walked into Jerusalem and only you knew all that that meant. But you did that, Lord, to shape us and to change us and to alter us. You did that to save mankind. Mankind in all of his perceived wisdom could never fix themselves. All of their experience and all of their efforts, Lord, they, every bit of them, every one of them fell short. Jesus, you made a way for people to be transformed eternally. But Lord, it isn't a one-time thing. I thank you that you save us and, and we go from darkness to light. We go from lost to found. We go from hell bound to heaven bound. Hallelujah. But Jesus, you don't stop there for the rest of our lives until we see you face to face. You change us. You alter us. And we thank you. So now, Lord, in the closing moments of our time together, I ask that you will stir us, speak to us, show us those areas that need to be reshaped Make us more like you. This is my prayer for every person here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, God bless you this morning. We're going to close this service, but I'd like you to hold for just a moment. And uh, I have one more thing that I want to do before we close. Before I even mention that, I also want to mention, again, please, two things. On your way out, would you please give? And again, all of this offering is going to go towards our missionaries unless you designate it otherwise. And make sure that you even connect with the, uh, the, the missionaries, uh, Troy and Heidi Darren, on your way out. Make that connection. I know that there is <clears throat> very seldom a good time for, for 
for these things, but I want to share something with you. I want you to allow me to take a few moments to share with the church family here in the building. As most of us know, change is one of the great constants in life. Um, following a great deal of prayer.